Well, a few years ago, Spencer Johnson wrote the book, Who Moved My Cheese? It's a business book that has become one of the most popular of all time, selling almost 30 million copies. It's a simple parable where there are four characters, two mice and two people that are tiny, the size of mice. They live in a maze. There's cheese. And every day they go and eat this cheese until one day the cheese is no longer there. Hence the title of the book. The characters represent how we wrestle within ourselves when change happens. One of the mice, he uses smell to try to find new cheese. And so he doesn't really have a plan to find the cheese. He just simply goes out and tries to find it by just one step after the next. Uh, the other mouse, he's very fast and he also doesn't think much. He just runs quickly through the maze trying to find new cheese. One of the little people, he's a grumpy person and he just complains. He hates change. Why did somebody move the cheese? We'll never find any more cheese. The world's coming to an end. And then the fourth character is the one that's kind of the key character. He's hesitant. He's startled that the cheese is there, but he starts to think maybe there's a solution that's workable and maybe we shouldn't be so worried. We'll come back to one moment in that book here in a moment. We're going to look for a few minutes, though, at a familiar story, but some less familiar parts of that found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, when Jesus and Peter, they have this discussion. There's the miracle of the fish that are caught, and then Peter receives that calling. Luke, chapter 5 says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Luke highlights a few things, so I'll highlight them here because they're there for a purpose. In this point, he highlights that the men were washing their nets. Why did he highlight that? It means that their shift is over. It also tells us it's morning. So they're cleaning their nets, getting ready to go home. And that's when Jesus shows up. This was the end of the day for them. And part of the picture here is Jesus steps into a moment and he may at times call us out of our comfort zone. They were going through their daily routine and getting ready to continue that daily routine when he appears. Sometimes that comfort zone is where he pulls us out of. If you were in Akron then this past weekend, you might have seen some people stepping out of their comfort zones. Here's a picture of one of our beautiful 22-story buildings, and people do this here in Akron. They also do it in Cleveland. You'll see in the next picture they are rappelling down the building. And people do this because it's to, to raise money for certain charities, also raise money for some nonprofit groups. And so some people stepped way out of their comfort zone here and, and repelled down 22 stories. My wife and I were downtown and, and watched. It was simply fascinating. Very, very just inspiring to see people stepping out of their comfort zone in, in a very big way. Let's go back, though, to the story, Luke chapter 5. It says, Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon or Peter, asked him to put out a little from shore. Here's the key in this part. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. We all know the story. We know that there are fish that miraculously are caught. Jesus could have simply walked up to Peter 
and the miracle could have happened at any moment. What's taking place though, the order here is what we want to pay attention to. Before the miracle, he sits down and he begins to teach the people. Why is he teaching them first? Because he's trying to get a change in their minds, a change in Peter's mind. Again, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. As we talk on a regular basis, scripture says over and over to have different thinking, renew your mind daily, take on the mind of Christ. It's faith that thinks things differently than fear does. And so Jesus sits down and teaches before the miracle so that their mindset begins to change and align with higher things. Love this quote here by Tom Corley. He says, set goals, not wishes. You cannot control the outcome of a wish. You can control the outcome of a goal. Notice his quote here about these statistics, two different types of thinking. Studies show every year, 70% of successful people pursue at least one major goal. Those who struggle to make ends meet, of that group, only 3% make a goal. See, the challenge there is in the thinking. Those who most need to get focused tend to be the least focused. Those who most need to be clear about an outcome are the ones that most often don't have an outcome in mind. So, for example, someone at the end of their marriage, instead of having a plan to repair that marriage or to seek to find help for that marriage, people at that place of almost divorce, most don't ask for help, don't seek counseling. People that are financially struggling, most don't find somebody to give them some wisdom. They tend to just let their finances deteriorate even more. Again, it's a different type of thinking. We're called to have a different thought life. Jesus sat down to teach the people before the miracle so their thinking would change. Ours should change as we gather on Sunday as your own time in Scripture, your own time in prayer, your own time just reading books that challenge the, the way maybe the old thinking was. Brings us back to who moved my cheese. They don't know where the cheese went. The two mice, they're just reacting. The grumpy small person, he's just complaining. Nothing can be done. But the fourth character says, maybe there's an answer. I'm going to go look for an answer. And he puts on his running shoes. And the grumpy character says, what are you doing? And he tells him, I'm going to go see if I can find cheese somewhere else in the maze. And the grumpy character says it can't be done. And as the other character with some optimism, starts to walk out the door, the grumpy character again says, why are you doing this? And that character says two words. He says, what if? What if? You see, the challenge for most people, that what if, followed up by something negative. What if things don't work out? What if God doesn't hear my prayer? What if there's no way to save this relationship? A different type of thinking, though, says, what if Jesus has plans for my life far beyond anything I can imagine, and he has my best interest at heart? What if there was something at this marriage seminar, one key distinction 
that would save our marriage? What if maybe someone else has experience that I could learn from and I could gain wisdom? I just simply need to be humble enough to ask for help. What if? A different type of thinking. So, this gentleman here is Adoniram Judson, lived in the 1800s. His father was a minister, and Adoniram was a genius. Three years old, he was reading books. As a young man, mastered other languages, got into a prestigious college and special program. Though his father was a minister, Adoniram himself, at that time, he was termed a deist. Simply means somebody that believes God may exist, but doubts he pays attention to our lives. Well, Adoniram went to college, met some people, one gentleman especially. He wouldn't share his name out of respect for this person, but he would say, became friends. This person was an atheist and convinced me, and I became an atheist too. They graduated college, went their separate ways. Adoniram traveled. A few years after college, he was going through a certain town, stopped at a small inn, stayed the night, said he couldn't sleep though. There was someone next door, obviously, that was ill, very distressed, groaning, sounded just terribly afraid. He struggled to fall asleep. He eventually did. The next morning, he woke up. All was quiet. He went to the desk, inquired about the man in the room next door. Hotel clerk said, oh, unfortunately, that person passed away, which is sad, you know. Everybody liked him. And Adoniram asked what was his name, and to his shock, the hotel clerk told him the name, and it was the atheist student he had befriended in college. Adoniram would say, you know, that shook him because here was this person so certain in their atheism but when they came to this moment of distress there was all this fear and upset that caused Adoniram to start to say is this how I want to live my life so he began a spiritual journey eventually committed his life to Christ became a missionary but this was no foxhole conversion this was no convenient you know, fearful, just want to find a way to alleviate my anxiety commitment. He became a believer, went on the mission field, and faced tremendous opposition. He faced violence on the mission field. His own child would die there. He would be put in prison for a long time for sharing the gospel. But he never turned back on his faith, never lost the hope, the peace that he had. And here's a key thing he wrote. The motto of every missionary, whether preacher, printer, or schoolmaster, ought to be devoted for life. Different thinking, different words, different commitment. Back to Luke chapter 5. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Notice the key here highlighted, put out into the deep water and let down your nets, plural, for a catch. Again, why did Luke highlight that? Well, he highlighted the deep water because this is counterintuitive. It's morning. They fished in the deep water at night. 
and in the morning in the shallow water. He already goes against what Peter normally would have expected to do. And then the second thing he says, let down your nets, plural, because Jesus has a bigger vision than the people there and Peter himself could see. Jesus taught to change their mind. He taught them to see things differently before the miracle. And he called them to step out into the deep water, something counterintuitive. And it brings us to a place to stop and say, is it possible that Jesus knew more about fishing than Peter? Of course. When it brings it to our own lives, is it possible Jesus knows more about how to fix this situation than I do? Or to fix my relationship than I do? Counterintuitive, but again, the miracle often is not the logic that we might think propels it. Notice what he says. Master Simon says, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. There's a moment here where Peter is between what we would call common and an uncommon moment. He's at a decision point. Let me read a beautiful statement by Donald Miller about that same thing for you and me. Donald Miller says, If you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when he drove off the lot testing the windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and put on a record and think about the story you'd seen. The truth is you wouldn't remember that movie a week later except you feel robbed and want your money back. Nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo. But we spend years actually living those stories and expect our lives to be meaningful. The truth is, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. Peter could choose the Volvo, go on with his routine, or he could choose the uncommon, and notice what he says next. But, Lord, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Peter's thinking has been changed because he's been sitting there listening to Jesus teach about the kingdom of God, the peace everlasting, the joy unspeakable, full of glory. And he says, I want what this person is talking about. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. And of course, we know the end. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. Anthony Zibolowski shares about this moment. Maybe those first disciples just got sick and tired of business as usual. Maybe they realized the goodness of God and His blessing and decided they were not going to risk it all for this life, but wanted all that God had to offer. The crowd pressed into Jesus he spoke to them all, but not all of them were listening. Are we listening? Sometimes letting your net down one more time does not make sense. Going to the deep end when you feel like drowning doesn't make sense. But sometimes the net breaking, boat sinking blessings are not on shore. They're in the deep. What happens next, Luke says, they signal their partners in the other boat 
to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. We close, look what happens. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Peter had a much different response than the other people. The crowds, when Jesus did a miracle, some wanted to see more. When the religious leaders saw miracles, they often scoffed and criticized. When Peter saw the miracle, he fell down on his knees and said, I'm not worthy of what you've given me. That's worship. And it's worship that understands the next part as well. Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for men. So they pulled their boats up on shore. And here's the key for you, for me. They left everything and followed him. What if? It's a different type of thinking. Sometimes Jesus steps in and calls us to do things counterintuitive. That old nature rises up and says, you know, who moved the cheese? Nothing we can do about it. But there are those who dare to dream that say, you know what? I trust Him. Committed for life. John Piper shares, at the end of the day, at the end of the age, Jesus isn't just going to say, why did you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? He's also going to say, why'd you call me God? Say I was, say I was your treasure, but only give me 2% of your attention. Charlie Fries of Billy Graham Evangelistic Association recently interviewed Char Charlie Duke. Charles Duke worked the radios 1969 when Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong first landed on the moon. Charlie Duke, though, also wanted to be an astronaut. His dream came true. Less than five years later, he was the 12th man to walk on the moon, the youngest astronaut to do so. He would share about that moment here just a few months ago, reliving it. The moon to me was incredibly beautiful. There were no colors on the moon. Everything was just different shades of gray, rolling terrain, brilliant sunlight. There's no atmosphere on the moon. You look up into the sky, it's jet black, velvety. What a contrast. Those memories are indelibly in my mind. As I've shared before, though, and Charlie here will share that in a moment in a quote. Many astronauts, when they come back from the moon, they go into depression. Many turn to alcohol. Come back from the moon, unique experience. Meet the president, parades, fireworks, and then it goes quiet, and they think, now what? Well, that happened to Charlie Freeze as well. He said this, when I got back, despair set in. I asked, now what? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Something I'm sure we've all asked ourselves. Not only was he in despair, his wife was in despair. She sank into depression because their, their relationship had broken down over the years. 
during his commitment to make it to the moon, then his depression. She threatened to commit suicide, and he was shared that their marriage was steaming toward the rocks of divorce. Somebody invited them to, to go hear a speaker, and that speaker talked about his dreams, his goals, and then shared the gospel. And Charles said that his wife looked at him and said, I've tried everything but Jesus. I'm going to that altar. He said she did. She changed. He didn't believe it. But for three years he watched, saw her healed, saw her happiness, saw her joy. And after three years of that, when he was invited to go hear a speaker, he went. And when he listened to the speaker share about his own testimony and about the gospel, Charles said, this is either real or it's not. And then he went to the altar. Here's what he said. God delivered me from anger, unforgiveness, just everything that was wrong. It was dramatic. He saved our marriage. Not one promise of God has failed us. I want to close with a powerful statement he made. For those here this morning, for those on the radio, we'll trust you'll continue to, to be here. Hope you'll join us here on Sundays for the radio program. Watch AkronFirst.com for changes to that station and time. Also, the, the website, you'll find the messages also uploaded. So go to AkronFirst.com and hear messages and look for the new radio station and time. But as we close this morning, take this as your own commitment. Charlie Duke said, you know, people all over the world want to meet someone who has walked on the moon. I want to introduce them to the only perfect person to walk on the earth. Different way of thinking, different way of believing, different way of committing. What if?